What name could contain such a glory? In the cool breezes of Eden, brought from the infant earth, one arose, the voice of his creator speaking his identity to life. Adam, man. And as heaven waited short with bread, the creator spoke yet another, Eve, mother of all the living. So it was with Abraham, named in the promise as the father of nations, Peter, the rock upon which the church would stand. The name called to life the destiny within. The name set the stage for all that was to come. And unto us a child was born. And what name could contain his glory? For he was mighty God, as the universe gasped into being, flinging rays of light from his presence to pierce the void, to shatter the shadows to a tapestry of color. And he is mighty God, shattering our darkness, revealing our light, our truth in him. He was everlasting father when orphaned Israel needed a father's touch. When we, with grief-stricken cheeks, need the embrace of one who never leaves. When we have lost our way to dark horizons, it is our everlasting father who lights the way home. He is Prince of Peace. When, like Elijah, we need the still small voice in the turmoil's midst. When, like David, we need the melodies of his presence to soothe our troubled minds. He is sanctuary within our trials. Shepherd guiding us to still waters. And yes, he is wonderful counselor. God who gives counsel in the chaos. Crafting disorder into calm and failure into beauty. He is a voice for the voiceless. He is dignity for the stateless soul. It is he who raised up a lowly shepherd to become a king. He who took the fishermen of Galilee and made them leaders of history. It is the counselor who redeems our lost years, breaking chains that have kept dreams imprisoned and joy confined. The name reaches across eternity, exclaimed by the splendors of galaxies, sung by the passions of angels, roared in heaven's fervor, exalted in creation's unfettered rejoicing. What name could contain him? What title? What soul renowned? For this is our wonderful counselor. This is our mighty God. This is our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. What name could contain Emmanuel, God with us, Yahweh, the great I Am. What name could contain the Word of Life, the Light of the World, the King of Kings, the Lord of All. We bow to the name that holds every other in its matchless worth. What name could contain such a glory? What name but Jesus? We cry Jesus. We cry holy is the name. Amen. Amen. Well, if that doesn't put you in the mood for Christmas, I don't know what will. Wow. Wow. Man, ain't God good? Ain't it good just to come to church and, and just talk about our God? He's incredible. He's incredible. Man, I could just preach right now, but I got a couple things I got to do first. Got to do a few things. Well, first of all, we're so happy all of you are here today. My name's Olin Carter. I serve here on our teaching team, and that's something that's very unique about our church. If, if you are new... Um, we have pastors that have this incredible vision 
to invite everyone into what's happening here at Freedom House Church. And so um, unlike what happens in a, in a lot of places in the world, our pastors, they don't hog the spotlight. No, they share their influence with everyone and they invite people to be a part of our team. And so that's why I get to be up here. We have a live communicator, a pastor, bringing God's word at all of our campuses, all of our services each week, which I just think is incredible. Can we give some honor to our senior pastors? Give them a hand clap. I just love them for that vision. And before we jump into the word today, I wanna make sure we, we greet those joining us online. We have an online campus as well, and word must have got out after the last service because there are people joining us right now from Mexico, Hawaii, Spain, Finland, California, Colorado, D.C., Ohio, Indiana, North Carolina, Kentucky, Virginia, Georgia, South Carolina, and Texas. Give it up for them all around the world. So we're so happy you're with us. Thanks for taking some time out today. I believe you're going to be blessed, and we, we love you guys. We're glad you're with us today. So we're, we're starting this incredible new series called The Names of God. Now, obviously, you saw there are so many incredible names of God. We can't cover them all. Um, but we're going to try to hit some of the really key names, especially some of the ones that we think about during the Christmas season. And you know, names today don't really carry the same meaning that they did in biblical times. When me and my wife were having our son, Matthew, um, we were in the hospital, she was going into labor, and we had no name for this kid. We were kind of panicking a little bit. And many of you know Debria, who runs our Salt Resources. She's a very close family friend of ours. We've known her for forever. And she was there in the hospital with us. And, and she and I were looking through baby name books, kind of trying to find a name. So Tammy's, you know, in labor, she's doing the hard work, you know, and we're, and we're like, you know, we got to find a name for this kid and tell the doctor something. And so we're flipping through. We found Matthew, it's a, it's a Bible name, and we like the meaning, and we just like the name, and so we picked that name. But in biblical times, names meant something special. Names were given to you based on your character, on, on your destiny. They really had a, a deep meaning into who you were. And you see many stories, many times in the Bible when God intervenes into someone's life and he changes their, their story and he changes their destiny, a lot of times he'll change their name. You, you, you see different stories, Abram becoming Abraham. And you see these stories where God changes their name. And so names in the Bible matter. They're, they're they're incredibly important. And so this series, we're going to focus on the names of God because we need to know the names of God so we can know the character and the nature of our God. Can I get an amen? amen. So let's jump right in today. Well, turning your Bibles, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to start in verses 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. More The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It says, his name shall be called the Prince of Peace. That's what we're going to talk about today, the Prince of Peace. We live in a world that is anything but peaceful. Can I get an amen? amen. We're emotional creatures. You know, we, we feel, we react to things in life. Constantly we're feeling, we're reacting, and there's nothing wrong with that. God has created us as emotional beings, and so that's how we react to, to life and the things that we experience in life. But I think very seldom do we feel true and lasting peace. Most of us don't live in God's peace. And I know especially at Christmas time, um, a lot of people deal with, with heartache, with depression, with loneliness. It can be a tough time for a lot of people. And as Christians, we talk a lot about peace. We talk a good game about peace, but how many of us can say that we really live our lives, we live consistently every day in God's 
peace. How many of us feel equipped and empowered to really share God's peace with other people? I'm going to make two bold statements today, and then we're going to spend some time in Isaiah breaking down these prophetic words, this passage of Scripture that tells us about Jesus, tells us about the coming King, tells us about the Prince of Peace. The first statement I want to make to you today is that peace is an essential characteristic of God's kingdom. It's essential. You can't have God's kingdom and not have peace. You can't separate out peace from the salvation found through Jesus Christ. In Scripture and throughout most of church history, peace is thought of and it's spoken of as nearly synonymous, nearly the same thing as messianic salvation. And so when there's prophecies of the Messiah, this, this chosen one, one is coming who will establish his kingdom, who will take the throne of David, is described as a kingdom of peace. Peace is essential. It's an essential characteristic of God's kingdom. Peace is an unmistakable sign of true faith in Jesus. It is the one word that characterizes what the life of the Christian should be like. I believe as Christians, we, we're called to love. Love is what we do, but peace is meant to be what we experience. Love is what we do, but peace is what we experience and it is what should display the experience of following Jesus to the world. It's, you can't explain it when you see someone that lives with peace. It turns people's heads. It drops their jaws. They don't know how to explain it. They don't know how to understand it. It draws people in because when they see true peace, they know, man, that's just something I don't have in my life. So peace is an essential characteristic of God's kingdom. The second statement I want to make, and then we're going to jump into the, the scriptures here, is that peace is always available to a child of God. Peace is always available to a child of God. And I know many of you in this room, many of you joining us online, you've experienced life as a child of God, and maybe there's been seasons where you kind of doubt that statement. Like, I've been through rough things and I didn't feel peace. And I think through understanding God's peace today, it's going to help you deal with that. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, peace is always available to you in every circumstance of life. When you get a bad doctor's report, when you're fired from your job, when your kids are acting crazy, when things are just going nuts in your life and it feels like you're in the middle of the storm, peace is available to you. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see it through prophecy. We're going to see it through scripture. We're going to see it in Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Peace is available to you. When you understand God's peace, you can learn how to tap into it anytime through the Holy Spirit. What I want us to do today is not just read verses 6 and 7. We read those verses. Those are the classic Christmas verses. We always read those verses. For to, unto us a child is given. But I don't think we really understand the, the weight of those verses and what the Prince of Peace can really mean unless we read the, the verses before and we really understand what's happening. And so we're going to go back, Isaiah chapter 9, if you still have your Bibles out, just turn back to verse 1. We're going to start in the beginning of the chapter and we're going to read through these verses and understand what Isaiah is talking about and who he's talking to and why this is so powerful. He says in verse 1, but there will be no Gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Underline that, circle that. That's important. We're going to come back to it. Galilee of the nations. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This is the beginning of this chapter of hope. It's a chapter of hope. We're talking about the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the coming Messiah. This is a chapter of hope. But what we see here in verse 1 is actually a transition in the prophet Isaiah's message to us. You see in the Old Testament, 
priests represented the people to God. And so the people, when they sinned, they had to bring their offerings and they would come to the temple and they would, they would bring it to the priest because the people couldn't go before God because he's a holy God and they were an unholy people. And so they would come to the priest and the priest would represent the people to God. But prophets were different. The priest represented people to God, but the prophet represented God to the people. The prophet spoke for God to his people. And prophets always had a two-fold message. When you read Jeremiah, when you read Isaiah, when you read all these prophets, they always had a two-fold message. One was judgment. You better repent. You better turn. God, his judgment is coming. But two was a message of hope. So they had a message of judgment, but they also carried a message of hope. And Isaiah has been warning God's people about coming judgment. Leading into chapter 9, his message has been doom and gloom. Why? Because the people of Israel and Judah have been worshiping other gods. They've rebelled against the God of Israel. They've rebelled against the true God. And now other nations are attacking them. God has lifted his hand of covering, of protection, and he's raised up other nations around them, evil nations, idolatrous nations. And these nations are coming into Israel and they're attacking and they're defeating God's people. And so they're beginning to suffer. Some of God's people are being enslaved. In the area right around the Sea of Galilee, remember I told you to highlight or underline that in your Bible, it says Galilee of the nations. Why was it called that? Well, we're, we're familiar as Christians with the area of Galilee because that's the area that Jesus did his ministry. We know Galilee because we know Jesus. Jesus walked Galilee. He walked that area. That's where his headquarters was. That's where Jesus ministered. But in this time, that was the area where God's judgment started. So these armies are coming into Israel and they're going to attack and they want to attack Jerusalem, but they start in the north. They start in these little towns and these little villages and they just decimate everything. And so there's gloom, there's despair, there's, there's bondage. And it's called Galilee of the nations because there's so many foreign nations, there's so many people that aren't of Israel, that aren't of God's people living there because they would conquer these villages and these cities and then they would just come in and they would take their land and they would just set up shop and they'd say, no, this is ours now. It not belong to you anymore. And so he got the nickname Galilee of the nations because it didn't even resemble Israel anymore. It, didn't, it wasn't full of God's people. No, they were being oppressed and enslaved. But in the midst of their sin and their disobedience, God's plan was still at work. His promises had not been nullified. And Christmas is about how God brings salvation to the world. That's what Christmas is really all about. And if you're taking notes today, something that I want you to learn from this, to see from this, something that you can apply from Isaiah's message to your own life, is that salvation only comes from God through promises so that it can only be received by faith. Salvation comes from God through promises so it can only be received by faith. Where are you looking for salvation? Where are you looking? Are you looking to your bank account? Are you looking to other people? Are you looking to your own wisdom and ideas? Are you just dreaming about your future and your plans? Where are you looking for salvation? And when everything hits the fan, where do you go first? Do you go to God? Is your focus on the Lord for salvation? Because what you're going to see, and when you read Scripture over and over again, it's made so clear that salvation only comes from above. It only comes from God. And so God's people, the Israelites, what they would do, and the kings of Judah, they would look everywhere else but God. They wouldn't pray. They wouldn't humble themselves. They wouldn't repent. I mean, God's judgment and all these problems can't be my fault. It can't be caused by me. It's got to be everything else. And they would go to these other nations, and they would bribe them to help them. They would get political. They would try to get other countries to come fight on their behalf, but they would never turn to God. This is the people of God who walked across the Red Sea his own dry land, who's seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And many of us in this room have seen the same. 
We've seen God deliver us. We've seen God change us. We've seen God do amazing things. But when we need salvation, where do we look? Salvation only comes from God. It only comes through promises. And a promise always needs a recipient. If you make a promise, you have to make it to someone, right? You have to make a promise to someone. And so God, originally, he made a promise. He started with a man, a man that would believe. This man's name was Abraham. So God started with a man, Abraham, who became a nation, Israel, who had a king, David. And God promised to Abraham that through his seed, Jesus, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Through your seed, Abraham, I'm going to bless everybody. I'm going to bless all the nations of the world, even the idolatrous nations, the wicked nations. I'm going to bless the world through your seed. And God promised David, their king, that through his royal line, he would raise up another king, Jesus, to sit on the throne forever. So through your seed, I'm going to bless all people. And through your royal line, I'm going to bring a king who's going to rule, who's going to bring justice and peace. Isaiah is reminding God's people that even in the darkest night, there's always hope found in God's promises. Where are you looking for hope? Are you looking to the promises of God? Are you looking to the scripture? Or are you trying to find hope everywhere else? Are you looking out there? Or are you looking in here and up there? Are you going to God? He tells the people that one day, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Galileans. He's talking about Galilee of the nations. These people that had suffered the worst. When judgment came, they were the first hit. They were the worst hit. He was talking about them. The area being oppressed so harshly during this time, God says he will make this place glorious because of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He will come and the people who have walked in darkness will see a great light. Those who suffered most, God says, man, I have a special blessing for you. And how many of us have felt like Galilee of the nations? Maybe some of you in here, you've always been the afterthought, the the, the next up, you've never been the one that mattered, the one in the spotlight, the one that was important. Maybe your whole life you've had to go through, you feel like you've gone through more than others. We, we know people, everybody goes through stuff, right? But some of us go through a lot. Some of us feel like, man, I think God is picking on me. Like why did his judgment have to start in Galilee? I mean, you know they had to think, man, why not Jerusalem? I mean, that's where the king is. He's, making, he's calling all the shots. And some of us in our lives, we think, man, I didn't pick this life. I didn't pick to be abused, neglected, mistreated. But God says, no, those who have suffered the most, I'm going to bless the most. I'm going to bless the most. He's bringing hope. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 3, he says, you have multiplied the nation. He's speaking about Jesus. You have increased it's joy, speaking about Jesus. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils, like after a battle. He says in verse 4, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. He's talking about slavery and bondage. Have you ever felt enslaved? You ever felt trapped in a cycle in your life, maybe a habit you can't break, a sin you can't break. You feel enslaved in something. And what he's telling his people then, but he's really prophesying about Jesus coming one day, is he's saying, I'm going to take all that slavery and all that bondage, and I'm going to break it. The Messiah is going to set you free. Verse 5, it says, For every boot of the tramp, tramping warrior in battle to mold, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. He's saying all this battle, all this fighting you're doing, he said, you're going to take all that gear, all that battle armor drenched in blood, and you're just going to throw it in the fire. You're not even going to need it anymore. You're not going to have to fight anymore. This coming king, this coming Messiah, he's going to bring you peace. To Israel and Judah, they would read this and they would see what? They would see more land. They would see a great harvest. They would see the spoils of war after a victory. That's what they saw. That's all 
they could see. But because we can look back through time and we can look back through Jesus, we know that he's talking about so much more. He's not just talking about grain and cows and crops and land. No, he's prophesying spiritually about what Jesus is going to do. God is saying that there will come a day when his people would live in true peace, when they would experience multiplication beyond anything they could imagine. And how is that fulfilled? That's fulfilled in us. Because you take this tiny nation of Israel, it's about the size of New Jersey. Think about that. Israel's about the size of New Jersey, and he takes this tiny nation, and out of this tiny little nation, he brings hundreds of millions of Christians around the world. He's changed the history of mankind, literally split time in half. We measure time before he came, after he came. Who's he? The Prince of Peace. Through this tiny little nation, he says, I'm going to multiply you like you can't even imagine. And look at everyone here today around the world. Millions of people multiplied how? Through Jesus. They would have read verse 5 as the wars and the bloody battles with man would finally be over. But we know a greater war was won through Jesus. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, it says, Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, prophets bring messages of judgment, and they bring messages of hope. Israel didn't understand how this hope could happen. They thought God would raise up a new king like David, and he would just go out and conquer their enemies, and eventually... They would be this strong, physical nation and they would have money and peace and prosperity and they could raise their crops and they could raise their kids. That's how they read these verses. That's what they thought. And they always blamed other people for their oppression. It's the Assyrians oppressing us. It's the Philistines oppressing us. It's the Amorites oppressing us. They couldn't fathom. It was actually always their sin that brought on God's judgment was their sin. There's two major errors with the way Israel's selfish attitude looks at things. Number one, God promised that he was going to bless all nations. It wasn't about them. And sometimes as Christians, we get so frustrated with God because we just want God to bless us. Israel just wanted God to bless them. God, we want to have our cattle and we want to have our Harvest, and we want to have our resources, and we want to be safe, and we want to be victorious, and gold and silver. God, we just want you to bless us. But God says, no, no, no. The point was never just to bless you. You're going to be blessed, but it's not what I'm going to do to you. It's what I'm going to do through you. See, through the seed, I'm going to bless all nations. This isn't just about you, Israel. This is about the world. I'm God. I'm, I'm the creator of the universe. It's not enough that I'm glorified by you. I'm going to be glorified by everything. So it's not just about you. It's not just about how I bless you. No, it's about what I do through you. Because through your seed, Abraham, all nations will be blessed. But really the biggest problem that Israel had is the problem many people still have today. And that's the holiness of God. The holiness of God. Holy means set apart as special. Something that is holy is rare and valuable. You set it apart from the common or the ordinary. A wedding dress is holy. And you ladies that have been married, you probably very rarely put on your wedding dress and go out at night to Taco Bell and get you a burrito. Right? And a Diet Pepsi. I was corrected after last service. They don't serve Coke. I'm a Coke guy. They serve Pepsi. So you don't put on your wedding dress and go out and get you a burrito and a, and a Pepsi, right? No, because your wedding dress is special. It's holy. It's set apart. It's for a certain purpose. It's to be used on a certain day. It's holy. The Bible is called what? The Holy Bible. Why? Because it's not like other books. We know the Bible is special. It's not just like other books. You don't just put it in the bookcase and just you know, treat it like other books. No, it's the Holy Bible. It's the special book. It's the book. It's holy. It's reserved for a special purpose. And I heard this the other day at 
kind of made a lot of sense to me. I never thought about this before. But you know, when you, you go to a hospital and you're going to have surgery, the surgeon inspects the utensils, the tools he's going to use, right? And so when he takes the scalpel, he looks at the scalpel and he examines the scalpel to make sure there's no defects in the scalpel. If the scalpel's dirty, he's not going to use the scalpel. If it's chipped, he's not going to use the scalpel. And it really doesn't matter if it's a little defective or a lot defective, right? The doctor's about to cut you open. You don't want him to use a scalpel that's a little defective. It's either holy or it's unholy. It's either right or it's not. It doesn't matter if it's a little dirty. You don't want him to use the scalpel he used on the last guy on you. Can I get an amen? That scalpel's not holy. No, no, no. Getting another doctor. (laughs) I want a holy scalpel. I want a special scalpel. I want one that's just for me. I want him to inspect it. I want it to be clean. I don't want any chips in the blade. I want it to be perfect. I want it to be holy. And all holiness is simply a reflection of the ultimate holiness of God. A wedding dress is, is a little holy. It's just, it's just a, it's a tiny thing that reflects the true holiness of God. That, that uniqueness, that true holiness, that absolute holiness can only be found in one. Jesus, God, he is set apart. There's no one like him. He, he not only doesn't have sin, the Bible says he can't even look at sin. He's so, he is so holy, he can't look at sin. When Moses was talking to God and he says, God, I just want to see your face. God looked at Moses, he said, I, I, I can't do that. If you saw me, you'd die. He said, I'm going to hide you in a cleft of the rock and I'll walk by you so that you can see me from behind because no man can look on my face and live. That's how holy our God is. He's not a little bit holy, he's totally holy. He's set apart. There is no darkness in him at all. And so how can we have peace with a God like that? Because if you're like me, if I'm the scalpel, I'm not a little defective. I'm a lot defective. My blade is chipped all over the place. I am dirty with sin. I've made mistakes in my life. If I'm the scalpel, I am not fit for use. I'm not okay. And one of the biggest problems with Israel and probably the biggest problem with people today is that we don't realize we're defective. We don't understand our unholiness and we can't understand God's ultimate holiness. But when you see God, everything changes. See, Isaiah saw God when he got his message, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5 And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you experience God, when you see God, the true God of Scripture, there's only one reaction, there's only one reply. It's not yay, it's woe. Woe is me because I am unclean. I am unholy and he is so holy. He is just light. There is no darkness in him. How can I stand in his presence? How can we possibly have peace with such a holy God? All through Isaiah, he is warning the people, repent, repent, judgment is coming. But God makes it clear to Isaiah, they won't. What a discouraging ministry Isaiah had. God, he sees God. God says, you're going to be my voice. And I'm going to give you this message. You're going to speak it to my people. And he, you know, Isaiah had to get kind of psyched out. Like, yes, like I'm going to be the guy. They're going to repent, God. They're going to turn back to you. And God says, nope. They're just going to rebel. And everything you say is just going to harden their heart against me. He says, not how, not how it's going to work out, Isaiah. Even God's holy people will continue to sin and turn away from their God. Isaiah's message will simply harden their hearts. And this isn't the world at large we're talking about, doing unspeakable things, sinful things. This is God's own people that he had delivered and blessed and nurtured like a parent does a child. 
The one that he had set free from bondage in Egypt. The one that he had taken into the promised land. I mean, this is God's people. And God says, nope, they're not going to repent. They're not going to get right. They're not going to stay right. They're not going to serve me. Time and time again, we see his people fall into rebellion and sin. I don't know about you, but that's kind of how I feel about my life. As much as I've tried, I still fall short. Still fall short. Even though I grew up in church, even though I had a mom who made sure I was in church, still messed it up. Even though I've had every advantage in the world, I've still screwed it all up. My heart still seeks after what's wrong. I, I didn't seek after God. He had to come find me, man. He had to grab hold of me. I mean, I, my heart is desperately wicked without Jesus. I know what's in here. Not a little bit of a sinner. Like Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. I know what God had to work with. I know how holy he is through his word, and I know how unholy I am. And so when I read these passages of Scripture, the message of judgment makes sense. The, the judgment makes sense to me. It fits with my brain. I'm like... God judges the sin. Got it. That makes sense. We deserve the judgment. Israel deserved the judgment. That all makes sense. But how? The part of the message that doesn't make sense to me is how could there be hope? The judgment I get, but what about the hope? How is there hope? How can there be hope for a people that are so defective and sinful? Well, Isaiah tells us in verse 6, there is hope for to us a child is born. There is hope for to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, not on our shoulders. The government's messed up. It's okay because the government for the future, for eternity, for heaven, that government is going to be on his shoulders. It's not going to be on my shoulders. It's not going to be on your shoulders. The world's messed up. It's okay. It's going to be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How can there be peace? Because God sent the prince. He sent the prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. It's not just going to come. It's going to continue. It's not just for a time. It's for forever. I don't get just a little bit. I get all of it. He says it's never going to end of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the best part of the passage we always leave out, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, if you come to my wife, and you spit in my wife's face. Let me tell you something about zeal. I'm not going to ask you questions. I'm swinging hard and fast. Man pushes my wife, insults my wife, spits in my wife's face. I'm swinging hard and fast. That's my wife. I'm jealous over my wife. God says, I'm jealous over my bride. And so what this verse is telling us is not that... He's just going to do this stuff. He's telling us how he's going to do it. He's saying, I am going to step in between my bride and sin, between my bride and sickness, between my bride and death, between my bride and the grave, between my bride and hell. I'm going to step in between and I'm going to defend my bride. With jealousy, I'm going to execute judgment on sin. I'm not just going to defeat sin. I'm going to break sin. I'm going to take sin and I'm going to break it over my knee. I'm going to humiliate sin. I'm going to destroy sin. Why? Because that's my bride. Because I love my bride. Because I love my church. Those are my people. And even though my people won't repent, my people won't get right, I love them so much, I'm going to do it for them. Because I've made a promise. And salvation only comes through a promise made to an individual so it can only be received by faith. And so by faith, we reach out and we receive the promise. When we receive the promise, we get peace. Because the promise came in the form of a person. And that person's name is the Prince of Peace. I need some peace in my life. Just grab hold of the name. Grab hold of the man. Grab hold of the person that is literally named Prince 
of peace. He brings peace with him. The word peace in the Hebrew is shalom. It comes from a root word that means wholeness and completion. And we are only whole in Christ. We're never complete. There's always a hole in our heart. There's always something missing. There's always something we can't figure out. It's just it's a frustration without him. Because we're a puzzle made to miss one piece. And that piece is Jesus. We're always trying to fit that hole with other things. But they don't fit. Peace didn't just mean no hostility. It didn't just mean an ending to a war or a battle. It meant the state of prosperity and blessing from God. When an Israelite talked about their word peace, shalom, it meant a wholeness of health and prosperity and peace. It meant everything is aligned. It's good with you because you're good with the Father. It meant his blessing is on you. And one messianic rabbi described it like this. I love this. He said, peace is nothing missing, nothing broken. Peace is nothing missing, nothing broken. This whole prophetic passage in Isaiah about the Messiah and his kingdom is a prophecy of shalom. It's a prophecy of peace. It's the foretelling of the coming of peace. It is a prophecy of nothing missing and nothing broken. That's the life that God has for you and for me. A life of nothing missing and nothing broken. And so you can see peace is an essential characteristic of God's kingdom. You can't separate God's kingdom. You can't separate being a Christian, a follower of Christ from peace. You can't pull those things apart because he is the prince of peace. God's kingdom is where things are set right and restored. All through these verses, we see the lowly and discarded become the glorious and the blessed. When we have peace with God, we can bring his peace into every circumstance in our life. We bring peace with us because peace is a person. We are commanded to seek peace. 1 Peter 3 verses 10 and 11, it says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. But we can only seek peace when we understand that peace is not a feeling we get when things are good. We can't have peace with others until we're at peace with God. We can't be at peace with ourselves until we're at peace with God. Peace is not a feeling. It's not a feeling when things are okay. It is not what is happening to us. That is not peace. Peace is unlocked through surrender to and alignment with God. That is peace. Shalom is wholeness, is completeness. You can't experience that. You can't have that outside of alignment with God. And so when we step out of that alignment, we can't experience peace. Something is always going to feel off. Jesus is the prince of peace. And so he brings us back, we, we saw this in Romans, into a right relationship with God. But he also creates a new heart in us. And so when you come to Jesus, you don't just get peace, you don't just get salvation, no, the problem is the Prince of Peace gets inside of our heart. He takes that scalpel and he goes to work and he starts changing stuff. He starts meddling. That's the problem with the Prince of Peace, man. He doesn't respect your boundaries. I'm like, Jesus, I don't want you in my money right now. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. I'm in there. I'm in your heart. And what he starts doing is he starts changing the things you want to do, changing the things you don't want to do. He starts messing with your motivations. And that's why so many Christians walk around with their face like, they don't have any joy, they don't have any peace. Why? Because they're not in alignment with the prince. They're out of alignment with Jesus. We're no longer spiritually dead. So just like our flesh has desires, 
I've said it many times, you get saved. Hey, five minutes before you get saved, you like cheeseburgers. Five minutes after you get saved, you're still going to like cheeseburgers. That's your flesh. Your flesh has desires. But see, once you're saved, not only does your flesh have desires, now your spirit has desires. See, now the spirit has been quickened. It's been brought to life. And so now you have desires that are pulling you away from where your flesh wants you to go. It says in Romans 6 verse 18, now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. You're now a slave to good stuff. The good things, the spiritual blessings, the love, the joy, the peace, the tenderness, the goodness, the patience, the self-control. You're not going to be able to escape it. God's going to get it to you, in you, through you one way or another. Either when you get to heaven or here on earth, you might as well surrender. Bow. He's going to win. He loves you so much. He's a jealous husband and he's, he's pretty powerful. He's going to win. And so he has our heart. And then we wonder why we're not experiencing or feeling peace. It's because we're out of alignment with God. Peace is alignment with God. And so when you get out of alignment, your spirit man is going to drive you nuts. Just got a raise and I just, I'm just so frustrated with money. Are you giving? Are you following God in generosity? Things like that. I just got this new relationship. I'm so excited that something feels off. Are they the one? Have you prayed about it? Is this the person God wants in your life? See, we get out of alignment and we wonder why I have no peace. The peace, the Bible says, is the umpire. It makes the call in my life. Should I go left? Should I go right? I've got to follow the peace. When I follow the peace, I'll experience the peace. You'll feel sick inside. You feel like something's missing. Something's broken. That isn't God condemning you. That's the Holy Spirit bringing you back into alignment with God because he is peace and he wants you to experience peace. The second statement I said, and we're going to close with this today, peace is always, always, always available to the child of God. It's always available to you. You don't know what I'm going through. Peace is available. You don't know what I'm going through in my life right now. The Prince of Peace died on the cross for what you're going through right now. The Prince of Peace came and he suffered so that he could be a high priest acquainted with our sufferings, it says in Hebrews. He is a high priest that he is not high and lofty and he can't can't identify with you. No, you don't know what I'm going through. No, Jesus knows what you're going through. He's the Prince of Peace. And so peace is always available to a child of God. Romans 8 verse 6, it says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to what? Death. But letting the Spirit control. Listen, when you let the Spirit control your mind, what does it lead to? It says it leads to life and peace. You experience peace. I ask you all to just bow your heads for just a moment. I just want to say a few things. I just want you to listen, focus to this, and then we're going to pray. Peace is not the absence of pain and suffering. It is reliance on the wonderful counselor. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It is confidence in our mighty God. Peace is not the absence of fear and of doubt. It is reassurance from the everlasting Father. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is surrender to the Prince of Peace. Peace is found in one name, one man, one Savior. You can search the whole world for it and you'll never find it. But you can only find it. You can only have it. You can only keep it by surrendering to one. One man, one name, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace. 
His Spirit is here right now. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Prince of Peace is in this room. And I want to ask you to do something right now. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to pray. Stand to your feet right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to take your hand and just put it on your heart. I'm going to pray for you. And I believe the Spirit of God is going to do something in you. God, we thank you for your Spirit that's here. We thank you for your unbelievable, encouraging names. You're the mighty God. You're the everlasting Father. And God, you're our Prince of Peace. We ask you right now. I know some people in this room, some people watching online, they've never truly felt, experienced, lived in your peace. And I just ask you to invade their hearts right now with your peace. And those that have never put faith in you before, they've never surrendered their heart to the King, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would draw them right now. Draw them right now. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I believe some of you in this room right now, you're experiencing something you've never experienced before. You feel a a tug at your heart, just something moving inside of you. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you to faith, drawing you to repentance. And I want to ask you to take a bold step of faith right now. Those that are with us online, you can do this too. We we welcome you to do this. There's people, they're a team, they love you, they'll chat with you. Just push the button there in the chat. But if that's you right now and you say, man, that's me, I feel something. I've never never experienced this before. And you feel faith rising up in you. You want to believe. You want to take a step. You want this to be true, the Prince of Peace. You want him in your life. Listen, right now, simple step of faith, just lift your hand up right now. If that's you, just lift your hand straight up to heaven. Amen. 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 I see those hands. We're going to pray this prayer together. And the Bible declares, it's a promise. In Romans, it says, when you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Bible promises you will be saved. That means you get the peace. He's going to come live inside of you. He's going to come change you right now. So for those of you that lifted your hand, I'm going to invite everyone in the room. Let's pray this together. Pray it out loud. Say, Father God, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I surrender my heart. I surrender my life. I believe that you died for me and you rose again. Now change me. Fill me with your peace. I receive it by faith. Your promise, I receive it by faith, and now I have it in Jesus' name. Amen.